This episode of the WDW Review is brought to you by all of our sponsors. MagicalMaraDesigns.com Enchanted Rose Photography The Theme Park Brothers YouTube channel BuyAndSellDVC.com and DVC-Rental.com These great people and great sponsors have allowed the WDW Review to record nearly 200 episodes of family fun Disney entertainment. If you'd like to help support us as well, we do have a Patreon account at patreon.com backslash the dubs. We appreciate everyone's support and frankly we're honored and we're touched we've had such a warm reception. Again, that is patreon.com backslash the dubs. Hello, welcome to the Dub D Dub Review, and I'm your host, Chris Malik, and I'm joined today by Tim Van Swole. Tim, how are you? I'm great, how are you? Doing really good. Tim, this is potentially both my favorite and my least liked time of the year, and the least liked is because it's my busiest work schedule, so oftentimes getting shows in can be difficult, but... It's my favorite time of the year because I have access to people in mornings that I wouldn't normally have access to. Teachers like you, like Tamara, you guys are always free early in the morning. So in a way, it kind of works out pretty well. So in full disclosure for everybody, this is a morning recording of the dubs with Chris and Tim. Yeah, it's uh, it's great to have a reason to get out of bed. <laughs> and get a cup of coffee and, and then you have to listen to me drone on for an hour or so. I wouldn't have it any other way. All right. So, Tim, we've got a different show today. We've got a fun show today. We Actually, this is part two of the show. Part one will never be aired because when we recorded it, we weren't too sure how it came out. So we're going to reboot this and do a, essentially part two that this will be the first show for everybody. What are we going to talk about today? Uh, we are going to talk about what it was like at Epcot at the very opening of it in October of 1982. Okay. So... We had an idea. We obtained copies of the Epcot Center opening day booklet. And Tim and I had this grand plan. We had this grand plan that we were going to literally read the book from cover to cover. And it wasn't until like number page to page two or three that we thought, you know, I don't know. This is, this is some pretty heavy information here that we decided maybe this isn't quite right for a show. But. We also realized, like the two big Disney nerds that we are, how cool the information that we had and, and how cool it was to read it out. So we just didn't want to disregard the show. We wanted to do something with this. So I guess let's start at the beginning. So give me your first memories, Tim. Show aside, reading aside, give me your first memories of Epcot Center. And not necessarily at its opening, but your first memory of Epcot. And, and about what year was that? All right, so my first experience at, at Disney in general and with Epcot um, specifically was in the mid-'80s. I want to say it was like 85, 86. I think it was right after my freshman year of high school. I know I'm dating myself there. Um, so our high school marching band went down there, and we performed um, at Disney and SeaWorld and um, went wet and wild and things. And I, the day that we went to Epcot um, – my friends were going to split off and go do things that I wasn't interested in. They weren't interested in World Showcase. And being the big nerd that I am, I wanted to see World Showcase. So I kind of glommed onto this group of mostly girls that really wouldn't normally have much to do with me. But um, one of the girls I kind of had a crush on, and she uh, she came from a little bit more well-to-do family, and they'd already been to Disney multiple times, so she was the expert. So I was going to join up with them. And unfortunately, all I really remember from that experience of Epcot was I remember eating at the French restaurant and having carrot mousse and being completely disgusted by that experience. <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember going to Japan or I'm sorry, China, the China pavilion, which just mesmerized me. I actually bought like one of those decorative um, umbrellas, like parasol kind of things at the China pavilion as a souvenir. 
And I remember they had fireworks at the end of the night, which I was so impressed with. I didn't know they had fireworks. So that's really about all I remember from Epcot as a, as a younger kid. Okay. Can I make a couple observations in what you just said? Sure. Okay. So I'm first off, you don't need those kind of friends in your life. If they're not interested in world showcase, that would be, you don't need those kind of people in your life. Just disregard those people. So, so essentially, if I could just portray this right, you obtain yourself an Epcot Center sugar mama to walk around with for the afternoon, essentially. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's a simpler way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> so, and shame on you for saying they wouldn't have normally anything to do with you. I bet you you fit right in right there, you know, just, just checking out things. What was her, like, when you said she was an expert, what did she have as far as information that, like, your other friends didn't have? Was she interested in in the history of world showcase or did she just like shopping or eating or, or like, what was like, what was her expertise in? I don't really remember a lot. I knew, I knew that she kind of just confidently went like it was like she was a tour guide and, and she must've specifically like world showcase. Cause that was where they planned to spend most of the day. Okay. Um, I don't think she was a, a, big eater but she must have been a, a snooty eater maybe a little bit because we when we went there we had to eat at the french restaurant so that was you know mission number one when we got into the park back th- at those days you had to go to this area and you had to go and talk to a monitor with a cast member um on a monitor screen which was like high-tech technology yeah. at that time i was blown away by that and talk to this person in some remote location to make a reservation at a restaurant so we went and did that immediately and because that was a priority one for her. Okay, we're going to talk about that a little later on in the show, about talking to essentially the person in the monitor. So we're going to get to that. So interesting. So Young Love was in the air on Epcot Center on that day, essentially. And no matter where she was going to go, you were going to go with her because she wanted to go to the World Showcase. Am I reading that correct? That's it. Okay. Amy, forgive this young man. He, he, he did not know... He did not know he was going to meet an angel like you later on in life, but at that point, that was his focus for that day. So, wonderful. True story. Um, my first memories of Epcot, it was about the same year. Um, I'm slightly younger than you, but again, I'm dating myself as well. I was probably 10, 11 years old. And my first memories, I have pictures still in my mom's photo albums of me sitting behind the wheel of a Corvette in the world of motion you know, where they, where they used to sell cars. Great idea. Um, maybe want to think about coming back with that. Um, I also have pictures of me with the deep sea diving suit. Do you remember the one that looks like it has claws on it, like uh, at, at Living Seas? It kind of looked like something that would be in the movie The... Um, um, it's not the abyss, but but any of those 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 movies that would take place with like a monster underneath water. Uh, I have a picture of a young Chris is standing barely head high above like the glass dome uh, in the suit. My memories of that day were this. I'm wearing a White Sox jersey. I have my long... What? Oh, yeah. I'm I'm wearing a White Sox jersey. I have my long winter socks on. You know, like the socks that are completely white, but they have the red (laughs) strip at the very top? So a young young Chris is just struggling to find a pair of socks. I got these high socks pulled all the way up. And I think I'm even wearing swimming trunks as my shorts as a young man. But at least it all kind of matches. It's all red, white, and blue. Um, Probably sweating the bejesus out of everything on that day. But thinking to myself, this was kind of a cool place. But I don't know if it really captured my heart. Like people, like, like the Epcot fanboys would say that Epcot Center was the greatest thing since sliced bread. I think at that time of my life, you know, Magic Kingdom is the gold standard. And, and you know, it, it probably still is in my heart right now that Magic Kingdom is the gold standard. And I think I kind of just got through Epcot and I took what I could from it. I really didn't appreciate what it was, what they were trying to do, or the story they were trying to tell until years afterwards. I'm looking for thrills and attractions and characters I can relate to. And instead, what I got was this bizarre you know, dream finder and, and the living seas, which is an undersea lab that I had to enter the hydrolators to get down to the bottom of the ocean floor to, to go and experience. Um, and it kind of felt like your local city museum of natural history, but on an outside scale with palm trees. So I don't know if it really captured my heart like it does now. Would, would, would you think, would you agree with that? Or were you automatically enthralled with Epcot? 
No, I would agree with that. You know, if I was comparing, I mean, at that time, it was just Magic Kingdom and Epcot. So if I had to say which one I was enthralled with, it was definitely Magic Kingdom. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm totally captivated by Epcot more today as a mature, uh, well, <laughs> semi-mature person. Um, <laughs> it's exactly right. Let's put a let's let's put an asterisk right behind that statement. Okay, right. very good. Okay, um, how many times did you appear? Did you go to Epcot between in the in the eighties? What would you say? Were you a regular park visitor, or was that your one experience at Epcot? No, that was my one experience. I didn't go to do, uh, Disney at all again until at, you know recently. Um, 2010 was our first family trip, and so that was it. Okay. 85, 86, and then 2010. Okay. I would say I went a few times in the 80s, late 80s, and maybe even early 90s, but then there was a lull, probably a 10-year lull in my life where I didn't appear back at the park. Um, And it really wasn't until my honeymoon with my wife that when we went back down that I really felt like, ooh, that park had changed. And the things they offered now were very interesting to me as opposed to, well, I'm just going to muddle through this and and do the best I can. So it wasn't until, so we've been married now for 20 years. It was 20 years ago that I thought, this is really cool. This is something unique and I could really enjoy this. But if you're listening through through the magic of YouTube, we've all had the pleasure of going back and seeing what it was and what they tried to create for us that I don't think we really fully appreciated. And if in your, you're in our age bracket, if you're between the age of, say, 35 to 50, I would contend that it'd be difficult to actually have anyone say, when the first moment I walked in, I was I was really enthralled. There are people that will say that. But at Walt Disney World, when it just opened up, when Epcot just opened up, Magic Kingdom, in my mind, that was the gold standard. So... We're going to retroactively look at Epcot and try and tell you what each pavilion, what each attraction offered. And we're going to go through them kind of step by step. We're not going to read verbatim from the actual booklet, though if you could obtain a copy of this booklet, it's interesting to see how things have changed. It's interesting to see how things have not changed. And we're going to name a lot of restaurants and shops that still currently exist. I've got some information for you where you're going to have a light bulb turn on and say, oh, so that's why they call that. So you're going to really learn something today, and you're going to have a, a trip down memory lane. So you ready to go, Tim? Yeah, let's get going. All right. So I'd like to start off by at least reading one piece here. Okay, so bear with me for a few paragraphs. This is the opening paragraph from the Epcot Center booklet. And as I look on the picture, I'm going to take a screenshot and share it on Epcot. The first thing I notice is Epcot's fully flushed out. So I can clearly see the pavilions. I can clearly see, you know, uh, uh, World Showcase, and I can see Spaceship Earth. I can also see the immense size of undeveloped property around Epcot. It is completely swampland and forest. There are roads, but you can see the Magic Kingdom in the distance, but there is no such thing as, as Crescent Lake. There's no such thing as Beach Club, Yacht Club, Boardwalk. They are nothing more than groves of trees at this point. A really cool picture to see really Walt Disney World in his infancy at 1982. Wouldn't you think so? Oh, yeah. It's just incredible. I didn't know that it was such an island by itself out in the middle of nowhere. It, it, it truly is in the middle of nowhere. Good way to describe it. When I show this picture to people, they'll be like, holy cow, it's, it's just sitting there by itself. There's, it's like the uh, just isolated. So here we go. Walt Disney was a dreamer and a doer, a man who cared about the world and its problems. He believed that people could develop solutions to these problems if equipped with information, technology, and opportunity. Epcot Center, comprised of two realms, Future World and World Showcase, has been created as a demonstration and proving ground for prototype concepts and technologies. Future World presents new ideas and systems that may someday serve people everywhere. At the same time, it provides an ongoing forum 
where creative thoughts can be exchanged. By showcasing interventions of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, Future World consistently encourages the development of even better systems. The richness and diversity of the human family is highlighted in the World Showcase. This unprecedented people-to-people exchange brings nations throughout the world together to share their cultural heritage, arts, and entertainment. It offers a new look at what our world can be through understanding, cooperation, and a better knowledge of each other. The dream of Epcot originated with Walt Disney nearly 20 years ago. Through years of research, testing, development, patience, and determination, combined with the efforts of thousands of people, Walt's greatest dream is realized with the opening of Epcot Center. As he intended, it will represent a collective endeavor by people, for people, with the hopes of a better world. All right, so that was the cover page. And I would contest that that this was not necessarily Walt's version of Epcot. If you'd like to read that, read. There's a bunch of, a bunch of books on Progress City and what Walt originally intended. But this is what came out. It was a combination, World's Fair and and showcase pavilions of, of new technologies. So that was what came out. Tim, what are we going to first talk about? What's the first attraction? Well, <clears throat> when you walk into Epcot, what what is the landmark icon that you think of um, when you picture Epcot? The giant silver golf ball. Absolutely. And that is Spaceship Earth. So we're going to talk about that first. So um, Spaceship Earth is is actually an attraction. That was something that struck me when I first went, or when I went back in 2010. I'm like, oh, there's a ride inside that thing. I had no idea. Um, so it actually houses the geodesic phone or geo, um, yeah, geodesic globe that you see when you walk in is Spaceship Earth, and it actually has the ride Spaceship Earth inside. Um, the attraction is a ride vehicle that spirals throughout the, the globe, um, and riders are boarding a, an imaginary time machine, which ascends into the globe in, in a spiraling fashion. Throughout the dome, they're hearing a story that illustrates the importance of what, Chris? What is the emphasis, the whole point of this story? Uh, to get out of the heat is number one, but no, no it's disrespectful. Uh, <laughs> um, it is it is essentially telling the story of communication. Yeah. So it's talking about communication and man's ability to communicate and it's uh, how essential it is to our survival over thousands of years of human history. Um, so you're, you begin and you're going through Pre, um, prehistoric times, prehistoric man, and eventually you end with you know more modern times um, and how communication has progressed throughout that time, um, animatronics and things like that. The once you get to the top, you your ride vehicles turn around and they descend around and or they begin to descend backwards, and you're able to view a blue a blue and white oasis of Earth against the background of dark and mysterious star sprinkled galaxies. Um, do you know who the who conceived the story for Spaceship Earth? You know, I do. And it's an interesting tie-in, but I don't want to take it from you, so I'll let you do it. But I do. And it's an interesting connection. So tell everybody. Yeah. Um, so the famous science fiction author Ray Bradbury was actually tapped for this project, and he is the person that conceived the storyline for this um, this attraction. And, and his goal for this story was for us to be able to go forth and discover the wisdom to guide our spaceship Earth through the uncharted future in order to fulfill our destiny. And that's really the whole point of, of Spaceship Earth. Or as I like to tell my students that go on Disney trips in the middle of the school year, you, know, you have to ride Spaceship Earth because it's a, it's a ride-long um, version of my class. <laughs> <laughs> so they've had multiple narrators for this attraction, and, you know, Dame Judy Dench is the narrator now, uh, Jeremy Irons, Walter Cronkite. Um, they've had, uh, you know, a few different narrators. And through the magic of YouTube, you can go back and listen to each one story. And I will say it's very difficult to say which one is better than the other because they're all dramatic and they're all dramatic readings in their own right. And they're all pretty interesting. And I love the spin they all give uh, on each one. Would you have a particular narrator that you really enjoy, Tim? The only one I've experienced in real life is Judy Dench. So I'm, I'm probably a little partial to her, but I just love Walter Cronkite's voice. Mm-hmm. Um, 
right now we're in the midst of, you know, yesterday was the anniversary that this will date when we're recording this, but yesterday was the anniversary of the Apollo 11 launch mm-hmm. um, and the 50th anniversary. And I, I just, there's so much of Walter Cronkite's voice and old footage of that time. And I just love listening to that man talk. So I think Walter Cronkite would, would I'd be favorable towards as well. Okay. Uh, before we get on to the next attraction, we did a show back. Was it number 150, Tim? Do you remember which show that was that we did? With Space I think it was 150. All right. Go back and, and, and find episode 150. We actually talk about Spaceship Earth uh, a little more in depth we also do a we also do a dramatic reading where actually chris nails the hallelujah song but stacy's terrible so if you want to hear stacy's i mean it's terrible but but i mean you can see i'm i'm very close to being a Pavarotti. you know at that point i'm i'm just i'm just gonna throw it out there all right um sorry stace uh we're gonna talk about communicore tim what do you know about communicore i really don't know a whole lot about communicore at all um I'm assuming it's kind of the core of communication. Okay, so this was an this was an attraction that legitimately I don't think I ever visited. I think we passed through this because as a young man, the idea of learning in the park, the idea of having your family learn or sit down and type on computers, it was appealing. It wasn't appealing to my family. So I can't say I've ever visited Communicore, but essentially Communicore, it offers guests the opportunity to deal with advanced technology on an individual personal level. They're aimed at measuring guests and making them feel comfortable with computers and other implements of high technology. And as you look at the pictures, it, legitimately, it's it's like you're typing on your Commodore 64. But at that time, that was technology's peak. But the idea of Epcot was going to be that technology was never going to sit still. And so from what I understand, the space this this was housed in, it could expand by two or three times as technologies changed. Remember, computer were computers were, were significantly larger. It's not like computers in the in the in the in the sixties and seventies where they took up a room, but they weren't these small, huge processors like in your iPhone right now. They were they were rather large machines. Tim, what was the first computer you had in your life? Do you remember? Oh yeah, we when my mom went back to college, um, we splurged on getting an um, Apple IIe okay. computer. Okay, we had that for a long time. And that, when you brought it home that first day, you thought the world could never get any better or any easier than it does right now. Isn't that right? Oh, it was the greatest thing ever. Yeah, I remember looking and playing games and word processing on a Commodore sixty four in my basement. My brother is still today one of the smartest computer people I know, and he had all these games copied. And I thought to myself, "This is amazing! Like, 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 could the world get any better than it is?" But essentially, back to Communicore. It was uh, it was comprised of a few different components. Can you name any one of those components, Tim? And I'm not I'm not because if you ask me, I would say I have no idea. Do you know any one of the components at Communicore? No, I have no idea. All right, the energy exchange involves uh, energy related concepts. Okay, synthetic fuels, solar, nuclear energy, the electronic forum, which is essentially a modern newsroom broadcasting news and sports from around the world, Futurecom which featured techniques and information via signs and satellites, newspapers and traffic lights, ticker tape and telephones. Travelport was a place for armchair and active travelers where touch-sensitive video screens suggest vacation destinations. And the Centorium offers uh, visitors a selection of contemporary merchandise. So it was a gift shop, along with the Stargate and Sunrise Terrace restaurants. Okay, and those provided American dishes. Now, this is where I want to talk to you about. They also had, uh, they were developing, essentially, the systems that were used in Communicore were developed by Disney Imagineers. For example, one of the most comprehensive information features was a system called VIRS, V-I-R-S, Video Information Retrieval System. It's a touchscreen, interactive, video disc, energy information source defined by Web, WED and Maple Engineers. Okay, so I'm not saying that was also used by your touchscreen menu ordering system, but you can see that was developed by by WED and by the Imagineers as a new form of technology. Did it catch on? Well, obviously it did and did not because it's morphed, you know, and, and I can't say that like Apple really, you know, looked at the Imagineers to for their next product line, but 
in a way, it, it I mean, think about Skype right now, you know, think about every kind of video sharing service, you know, so it's pretty close. Uh, yeah. Communicore was designed with future growth in mind, like I said, and has the potential to be expanded by up to twice its opening day size. By giving people the opportunity to personally experience new and emerging technologies, Communicore will take guests one step closer to understanding and appreciating the opportunities and potentials of the future. Now, imagine this if you're 10 years old. There are certain 10-year-olds that would grab on and certain that wouldn't. Still, the thought of it today, if there would be a Communicore today, the 40 two-year-old version of Chris, 43-year-old version, would completely be enthralled. I wonder if my seven-year-old daughter would be enthralled. I don't know. So, But that is Communicore. What do you got, buddy? What's the next one? All right. So <clears throat> both of us are probably the biggest um, fans of this ride, or at least this attraction, as it was in its last um, iteration, but the Universe of Energy. I was a huge fan of Ellen's Universe of Energy. Of course, that was the only version of it that I ever saw. But um, and it was really interesting to to do this research because I I saw it's it was quite a bit different in its early days. So first off, um, this why were you a fan of Ellen, Tim? Probably initially because of the heat. Um, <laughs> I was able to. <laughs> it's a nice long ride in air conditioning, so that probably attracted me the most. Um, but I just. It was it was cool to be able to go through and just see the the different the development of energy um, from early on till you know more recent times. I remember riding it and thinking to myself, "Holy cow!" The whole theater just moved, and thinking how cool it was that the massive theater, you know, those giant vehicles that you sit in, the entire thing is moving. And I know it literally moves at one point five miles an hour on a <laughs> wire guided track, but when you're a young youngster and you're like, oh, God, the theater just moved and you're seeing dinosaurs, what a cool experience. It always held a soft place in my heart. And I oftentimes listen to the entire show on YouTube at work just, just to, you know, reminisce with Ellen. Uh, I still think that was a wonderful attraction and I was really sad when it went. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about it. All right, so the universe of energy is housed within a wedge-shaped building with a slanting roof. Uh, what do you know? What it was that was certainly or very special about the roof of universe of energy? So I'm going to make a footnote here by saying it could be still the coolest building that Epcot had. Even cool, you know, I'm not sure if it's the coolest Spaceship Earth because that's the logo, but what an awesome design! And with the rainbow-colored tiles on the side as the monorail passed by. But but sure, it was powered by the sun. Yeah, it was covered by a blanket of photovoltaic cells that was um, supplying most of the power needed to support the ride system within it. Mm-hmm. So that was um, that was quite an amazing um, technological feat at that time. Uh, the purpose of the attraction was to convey the message that energy is the ultimate gift of the universe and it's the wealth of source of nations. I thought that statement was kind of you know, spot on right there. Mm-hmm. The wealth of source of nations. Um, the pre-show for the attraction was called Energy, You Make the World Go Round. And it was an eight-minute display of rapidly changing Im- images that appeared on a hundred separate three-foot square rotating sections of screen. <clears throat> and then next you would go into a large triangular-shaped theater with uh, there, which would reveal a massive screen. And that showed the largest animated motion picture ever produced, at least as of the time of this uh, printing of this booklet, and it's called Energy Creation Story that tells the story of fossil fuels. <clears throat> and then you go into a different phase of the um, show. The theater then transforms into six different, as you already talked about, traveling theaters that each carried up to 97 passengers. Um, in each of these theaters. So it was basically a room on a track. And the vehicles would take riders through what 
essentially was the, a larger-than-life diorama that depicted scenes showing the physical and geologic forces in the formation of energy. So and you travel through scenes with dinosaurs and all sorts of things like that. At that time, it was the largest diorama that, that was built on Walt Disney World property, on, on Disney property. It was the largest diorama. Yeah. <clears throat> and then the finale of the um, experience highlights current and emerging energy sources from around the world, and it emphasized the idea that working together, we can build a more secure energy future so again that attraction you know they, they had to eventually update it and ellen was I, actually i i always found her show to be super duper funny and enjoyable and the addition of bill nye but you can still find videos of this and it's funny to see how the dinosaur version of of, of the attraction really didn't change a whole heck of a lot um, as the attraction aged, you can clearly see some things were pulled out as opposed to added. There were certain dinosaurs, like the snake lizard head dinosaur that eventually chased Ellen. Um, that actually just disappeared entirely from the uh, attraction. But we're not here to talk about that. But at that time, to go from a movie to actually driving through the theater in three or four different scenes, what a really cool experience that was. <laughs> 97 passengers by how many cars? How many vehicles are there, Tim? Do you know? What did I say? Six? Is, Six yes. So think about the sheer size of people that could be shuttled through that attraction. It's arguable that they were ever filled, but I'm sure at one point in 1982, 83, 84, 85, I'm sure they were pretty much max capacity. And it rolls about 40 minutes. It's 42 or so minutes from start to finish, from the pre-show to the very end. So it's a significant commitment for your time to go onto this attraction. So it had to be good to last as long as it did. Yeah. It's funny. I, I was hesitant to go on the ride the first time in 2010 because Amy had gone in the 80s um, on this ride as well. And all she remembered from the Universe of Energy was that she got drooled on by a dinosaur. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that some of the vapor that was coming out of uh, the animatronic dinosaurs was con condensation, and then she had dripped on by it. But she's like, I don't know if I want to go on this. I got drooled on by a dinosaur. Well, in theory, it could have been you nodding off next to her, and it just so happened to be coincidental that you drooled right when she was passing underneath the dinosaur and she thought it was a dinosaur drool. Is that is that possible? It's possible that may have happened. Because it was nice and cool and you were traveling around for 40 minutes. Okay. That, that definitely was an attraction. The World of Motion. It's time to be free To be on the moon What do, do you have any memories of the world of motion, Tim? No, nope, got nothing. Got nothing. So nope. your memories are only of Test Track, is that correct? No, that I don't even think it did Test Track. It, I mean, really, Carrot Moose and China Pavilion and fireworks. That's it. That's all I got. Okay. So let's talk about the world of motion. So to experience world of motion is to trace the development of transportation from man's first form of mobility, which is foot power, up to the present and possible future methods. The impressive structure housing the World of Motion actually suggests by that it's 65 feet high and a 320-foot diameter, the shape of... What does it represent, Tim? Do you know? Uh, no, I don't. A large wheel. So it was intentional oh. to make it look like a large wheel. That makes sense. Uh, so what I remember about this attraction was you would board, then you would go outside the pavilion, make a turn as it ascends and then re-enter the pavilion as you kind of climbed up and you would start off at the top. So you would literally enter, sit in your vehicle, go outside and come back inside with this attraction. And it was all very similar to the spaceship Earth in terms of the speed and the vignettes they showed you. Many of the attractions at this time kind of felt very similar. You would see a slow-moving experience and you would almost say like a dark ride experience but the intention was to educate you through comedy as you enter through the world of motion. So, uh, it begins, okay, essentially it takes you from the very beginning. So, this is where you have the guy, the caveman blowing on his foot because his foot is hot from walking. Do you remember that scene or have you seen that scene on YouTube? Yeah, I've seen, I've seen that. All right, all the way through the Wild West scene, through, through a variety uh, of scenes. Um, now, this says, this is, at the time, 
the largest audio animatronic show ever produced by Disney as far as the number of characters at one time for the world of motion. Uh, one experience is the speed and excitement of racing, sailing, rafting, bicycling in the speed room, and dreamlike view of the future, diverse transportation system in the lights and fiber optics finale. Okay, Below that, in the Trans Center, it, it, it completes the world of motion experience with five main exhibit areas, including AeroTest, which is a demonstration of airflow patterns, the Bird and Robot, which is a comic presentation about the state of robots working in the industry, the Water Engine, which essentially is cartoon characters concerning the pros and cons of several types of combustion engines, Concept 2000 is a look at the advanced automotive, uh, automotive, uh, sorry, automobile design procedures, and a workshop, which essentially is a presentation of future designs for future technologies. They also had the vehicles where you could literally sit in them. Um, so I know they had a Corvette. They had a bunch of varieties of vehicles. And they're all GM products at the time. GM was a sponsorship of this. And I remember seeing a young... Uh, I don't want to say it was Lee Iacocca. I have to go and get the actual the, the, the person. I'll, I'll post that on Epcot. They had like the vice president of, of GM and Chevrolet talking about this. And it was a video tape that was distributed through GM dealers and, you know, that you could actually see, hey, this is the, I forgot, I forgot his name, the vice president of GM, and we're talking about how exciting the world of motion is. So what do you think about the world of motion? And then what do you think about when it transferred over to Test Track, Tim? It sounds like it was uh, was an interesting educational experience. Um, I, I have a question for you, though. As I look at the... Um, the brochure pictures. I, I'm struck. There's one that just stands out to me as absolutely bizarre. Uh, and I have no idea how it fits into this attraction. But there's a picture of what looks like a centaur that is chained to a, a girl whose hands are bound together. Like she is a slave or some or some sort of servant of some kind. Like, what? Do you have any idea what that picture has to do with this attraction? You know what? I don't. I'm going to have to go and YouTube it, but I'm sure it dealt with transportation through um, mythical creatures mythical creatures and mythology but yes i will have to post that picture as well there is definitely a story i get the wild west scene i get the bank robbers i get the you know the horse and carriage i get that scene this one is unique to me it definitely does not display the ability for centaurs to have transportation there's something <laughs> there's something else going on here so we're gonna i'm, I'm sure uh, i'm sure tony or someone's gonna know and they'll let us know about that but um essentially that's the world of motion all right well we're going to take a journey now um to a different area of the park and we're going to journey into imagination This is this attraction. I believe today is probably it's it's a very polarizing attraction. Um, which camp are you in? Love it or or leave it, Chris? You know what? I don't know if I'm in any camp. It's you know, and here's the bad part. I'm, I'm meh about the attraction. So you know, I, I think people love the idea of Figment and Dreamfinder, and people love the idea that it represents their childhood and when they went. And this may have been the attraction that people really fell in love with because it was a tangible character but i don't recall going on it until just recently and you know it's it's there i'm very meh about it which is not good i guess i'd rather have a strong opinion one way or another i don't i don't have it it's another if i'm hot it's a good place to get out of the heat kind of place but it wasn't always like that no at one point it was something special yeah uh, right now, I, I love the idea of Figment. I, I think he's cute and he's, you know, interesting. Um, you know, the new fluffy plush toy that they've got out with mm-hmm. Figment that, that looks really cute. And But it's it's nothing like what I imagine it was like from back in this time. And reading this, I, this sounds like something I really would have enjoyed. So this attraction uses the tools of Disney's magic, fantasy, and enchantment to remind Epcot guests that our ability to imagine and create is the source of all of our achievements and progress. 
without imagination and creativity, we, we don't do anything. <clears throat> the attraction was divided into three parts. The first part was a ride-through that takes guests into realms of artistic and scientific creativity. And then you enter the image works portion of the attraction, which was a hands-on playground, so to speak, that gave guests um, tools where they could actually exercise their imaginations and create and test different things um, and experience what it would be like to be using your imagination. Um, the third part was the Magic Eye Theater, which housed a show called Magic Journeys that takes the guests on a voyage into a child's imagination. Uh, the, the attraction features two memorable characters, which we have already alluded to. Dreamfinder was a jolly bearded gentleman who represents the mature, accomplished side of imagination, but he's lost his curiosity and his willingness to explore. And then Figment is a mischievous purple dragon who embodies the impatient and questioning side of imagination that we usually associate with um, children. Hang on. Uh, did did yeah. you say that he lost his ability? Because I always remember Dreamfinder as as he was always goofy and he was always silly. Yeah, that's what the uh, the brochure said. So okay, because I always yeah. I, I remember him being being silly and like a wacky, inspirational, imaginative guy from from even images on YouTube and whatnot. I don't remember him being the lost version. I remember him being the the completely over the top like. Okay. imaginative guy. You know what? I The English language is a beautiful and dangerous thing because you leave out one word and it makes a big difference. Um, it says that he never lost his ah, Okay. So, yeah. Um, I'm a teacher. It's summer vacation, so... <laughs> Give the man some slack, people, would you? He hey, hasn't had his coffee. Chris has got him up early. Back. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. So, a jolly-bearded gentleman represents the accomplished side of imagination who never lost his curiosity and willingness to explore Okay, um, and so the iconic theme song for this attraction is the song "One Little Spark," which will um, launch itself into your brain, much like you know, it's a small world, and also composed by the Sherman Brothers, just like the Small World theme song. Mm -hmm. um, very catchy. So they they want us to remember that imagination and creativity are essential to our survival, and that they can even enhance our enjoyment of the present as well. So before we talk about this, I wanted to make a, a note, and I meant to say this at the beginning. I think one of the greatest gifts that Epcot in its earliest days left with us is, in fact, the music of the park. And even today, when an original Epcot song comes on, you it's almost like must-do and must-listen radio. And so if I were just to say these attractions you would think immediately you know if i said one little spark you would be you'd be going doo, 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 doo. you know you'd be you'd be going along with it in your mind it, it, it's embedded itself same thing with spaceship earth with the dramatic theme uh universe of energy has amazing music uh there's a theme song for it uh that i'll, I'll play at the end of the show today that's just amazing uh it, you know coming up with journey to imagination and the land with listen to the land the songs that were created, the original songs for this park, still today are so beloved that that may be one of the greatest gifts it left with us. Even though attractions have changed, songs have changed, the original Epcot music was fantastic. Just fantastic. I'm sorry. And what I love about Disney is, like, I go there and I love transforming into a childlike state and enjoying that that experience. But... I can recapture it with smells and with music when I'm away from there because it, it just taps into those parts of your brain that help you to reimagine what the um, the experience was like when you were there. So that's the core of what we're talking about today. Even when you visit Epcot or Magic Kingdom today, a lot's changed. But if you look over at the Land Pavilion, you see that awesome, you know, odd-shaped building. And the inside, in many ways, still looks very similar. And Journey into Imagination, you know, it still has the pyramid design, glass pyramids, and the and the fountains that shoot water, and you have to kind of run underneath them. And it's kind of like visiting an old friend. And yeah, maybe the friend looks a little different, and Father Time's not been kind to any one of us, and we look very different than we did when we were 10 years old as well. But it's like visiting an old friend that you haven't seen for a long time. And I think that's why a visit to Epcot, you know, in, in Walt Disney World in general, it brings us back to our childhood. And for that one day, seven days, two weeks, however long you're there, 
you can remember what it was like to see it for the first time. And hopefully you're there with someone that may be seeing it for the first time and you're trying to show them what it's like. So in 20 years, they can revisit their old friend. Just make believe you're a tiny little seed. A tiny little seed that's reaching up to meet your need with the right amount of faith and the right amount of earth. You'll grow to see the sun shine on your day of birth. Let's listen to the land we all love. Nature's plan will shine upon. Listen to the land. Listen to the land. Let's listen to the land we all love. Nature's plan will shine. Let's talk about the land. Would you, Tim? Now, the land, you, you, what do you give the land? Zero to ten in terms of number. Ten being the best, zero being the worst. I think the land is an eight for me. It's it's an eight or a nine. It's always an attraction that we that we never miss. So there are certain ones that we can pass by. The you know some of the films we can go, we can nod. It's not going to make or break my day. But we always go on the boat ride for the land. So here's what makes the land interesting. You know, even the version of it today, you board the boat and you journey through uh, you know a few vignettes. But ultimately, at the end of the vignettes, you get to. You get to where they have hydroponic plants and they talk about sustainable fishing and and various things. But here's what I always thought was interesting. I don't see that at home. You know, we live in Chicago. We live in a very urban area. You live a little more on the outside. So, you know, farmland and whatnot is stuff that you see. This was so divergent from what I usually see. And to see plants growing without soil it was like what bizarre mad science is this i remember as a kid even thinking that was a really cool experience what made it even cooler back then was do you know instead of the spiel you hear now each boat was guided by somebody oh no i didn't know that yes so each boat had a captain so the land encompasses nearly six acres okay it's research facilities um, but what it does, it, exper- it explores man's relationship to nature and the land, living with the land, right? There we go. And is never in quest for an adequate means of meeting the world's growing need for food. Okay, so it's a boat trip. And you could also take a guided walking tour. So they had the walking tour available back then. It wasn't called behind the scenes. Okay, so your boat cruise, it takes them through a tropical rainforest, a desert, a prairie, and a barn theater show. And it's guided by an attractions host or hostess, okay? So they would talk a little bit about it. So instead of actually hearing the spiel over and over again, in many ways, think of Jungle Cruise without the funny and the sarcasm, but real useful knowledge. Uh, the t- it was called the Tomorrow's Harvest Tour. It's a guided walking tour of the growing areas seen from the Listen to the Land boat excursion. It also includes a look at the future farm where guests will explore innovations in agriculture such as zero-gravity lettuce and uh, spray boxes, column posts, and whatnot. You also visit the Aquacell. So it was called Tomorrow's Harvest Tour, not behind the scenes. Okay. Um, on the second floor of the land, the Harvest Theater presents guests with a 17-and-a-half-minute film called Symbiosis. So it's not the Lion King show. It's called Symbiosis which traces man's past, present, and future relationship with his environment. There was also the Kitchen Cabaret. What are your thoughts? Of, what, what are your memories? Do you have any memories of the Kitchen Cabaret? Or can you describe what it is, Tim? No, I I have no idea what that was like. I'm, I'm assuming it was like a quick service restaurant of some kind. Come on, veggie, veggie, fruit, fruit. It was an audio animatronic show set in an enormous kitchen that tells theater goers through a cabaret-like show, the story of the benefits of good nutrition featuring players like Bonnie Appetit in the Salsa Jar, Mustard Squeeze, Bottle and Mayonnaise Jar, uh, Yogurt and Ice Cream, the Cereal Sisters, Boogie Woogie Bakery Boy, uh, Ham and Eggs. All right, so they still sell these characters on eBay, but they're like crazy expensive. They're like $60 per character now because obviously the show doesn't exist. I can't imagine why it doesn't exist anymore. They need to bring this back. You never heard the song <laughs> Veggie Veggie Fruit Fruit? I'll have, to, I'll have to find that one as well. I have not. All right, so you know the restaurant that you and Amy love so much, the one that rotates at the top? The Garden Grill. Okay, it wasn't always the Garden Grill. I was leading you to do that. You know what the original name was? No. The Good Turn Restaurant. 
Okay. All right. There you go. It was called The Good Turn. It makes a 360-degree turn each hour, providing diners with a panoramic view of Farmer's Market and the biomes of the Listen to the Land attraction. This feature made it necessary for Disney Imagineers to design a show that can be viewed from two angles. Okay. So you can see in the Farmer's Market down below, that's essentially the the uh, food court area that 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 exists right now. So, what a cool endeavor to actually have a boat ride that goes through all these areas. You can see the educational spin. They're trying to educate you on on, on computer technologies and how to meet the world's food needs with new, you know, innovations. And, you know, uh, taking you through the the dawn of communication and, and communication up to the present. What a really cool thought they had and what they were trying, the story they were trying to tell. Really interesting. Um, it, now, you'll notice we're going to pass on one attraction. We don't have the Living Seas right now. Do you know why that is, Tim? Uh, I'm guessing it didn't exist it, in, on opening day. It didn't exist on opening days. Okay, Tim. So we've gone through Future World East and West, and we've talked about the great attractions. We haven't even gotten to the World Showcase. And as I look at my time... A lot of time has gone by. We've spent a lot of time talking about these attractions. So I think before we get into World Showcase, we're going to make that part, well, part three, (laughs) part three of this show. Uh, Part one will never be aired. Part two, you just heard. So you're going to have to listen to part three of our show to talk about the World Showcase. How does that sound to you? I think that's a good idea. All right. So... For my buddy, Tim, I guess before we even sign off, Tim, we'll let people know how they can contact us at the end of the next show. But does that sound fair to you if they have any questions or should we do our sign off right now? No, I think that's fine. All right. So for my buddy, Tim, and for myself, we'd like to thank you for joining us on our tour of opening day Epcot. Remember, you got to listen to the next next part. We're going to talk about the World Showcase. So for my buddy, Tim, and for myself, thank you. Have a great day. (laughs) 